Welcome to Polycast, a civilization podcast focused on game strategy. Canis Albinas. Makalua. The Man Team. Mega Bears Fan. Hello, everybody, and welcome to Polycast episode 374. Okay, very long. I am Canis Albinus, and I will be guiding you through today's show with our regular co-hosts, Makalua. Okay, my brain just went blank. That Thanks, brain. That's very helpful to start the podcast. Just go, durr. The me and team. Bringing you at least half of the special tactics you need to upset your friends. And Mega Bears fan. Getting all of the Eurekas. Oh, God. <laughs> Eureka! Yeah, Babylon's a little... Music! We'll get to Babylon, but speaking of balance, (laughs) (laughs) uh, thread posted by Lily Lancer and Civ Fanatics. Do we really need balance? Wait, 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 wait. That's not the right one. (laughs) That's my topic. What? This one is the feedback from 373. Betrayal. See, I told you my brain's not working today. We are off to a rip-roaring start. Sorry, I'm supposed to be talking about feedback. It was feedback from the last episode, which was actually talking about Babylon. That's Shaglio in, in the thread for the episode. I was just like, I don't know about Babylon. He's all excited when he heard that would be the next Civ released, but it's not quite on the play style because they particularly don't uh, seek out Eurekas. They just like play the games, let it unfold. So they have to either completely alter the way they play. Or they're, if they're trying to rely on hard research for B- Babylon, they're just going to have a rough time of it. And they're saying, just like Dramatic Age Mo, is all excited for it till they tried it. They didn't keep track of their points, and the next thing you know, and they got completely destroyed with city flips. I find that interesting, because even for standard saves, Eurekas are such an important part of the game in terms of the total output you generate, especially early on. It's 40% of all get- your science. Well, yeah. rarely it doesn't hit that exact amount, but it, it's still a very substantial chunk. And yeah, you, and, you can't get everything, but you can get a lot of them. Since a lot of certain... them you just kind of trip over accidentally yeah. over the course of the game. Like, you don't even have to do anything specific to get them. Like, you're going to have two crossbows, right, at some point during the game. So you're going to get the uh, Eureka for, what is it, metal casting. Right? I bet there's some people out there who don't, though. I mean, and that's fine. Like the game was made for different playstyles, for sure. If you look at the different civs and how they're built, you do expect some pretty different uh, runs just based on that. If you play to the civ strengths, now you can take pretty much any civ and do anything you want, but it's not going to be as good as if you pick a civ optimized for what you're going for. Now, I do want to say it's it's a good thing that Babylon is based around the Eurekas and not around the Inspirations, because I personally have a much harder time getting the a lot of Inspirations uh, as opposed to the Eurekas. I find the Eurekas are generally easier to achieve than a lot of the Inspirations, but again, that could come down to playstyle. 
I usually have trouble doing either of them because I don't build military units because I play on low level, low difficulties. And I get bit in the butt for it sometimes, but that's okay. Well, I get the military ones pretty often, but some of the other ones I have to like constantly look up and think about them because they're things I wouldn't otherwise do, trying to get the Arigas. But if you're going for a military-heavy style, it tends to be the case that you have less hard research because yeah. you are relying on the Arikas and infrastructure that is otherwise suited to producing and maintaining military as opposed to hard research. Unless you're just like teching for a particular thing and then all inning somebody, I guess. Yeah, once you hit that tech. Phil's over there looking at mathematics all like, but I already built and captured three encampments. Why didn't you give me the, oh, three different specialty districts? All right, I guess I'll build <laughs> something now. Well, that's exactly it, though. Like, you need to pay for your army somehow, right? So you go, you do tend to like wind up with a commercial hub, and then you look up, you're like, well, you need to produce these military units with something, so you get the industrial zone. Nobody else built any other districts. How am I ever supposed to acquire these? Am I supposed to hard build them? Jeez. Yeah, that is a little ridiculous, to be fair. I, I do expect properly developed cities to capture from my opponents. Don't let me down here. I do want to say that one of the strengths that I've found of a lot of these New Frontier uh, DLCs, uh, Maya, Gaul, and uh, Babylon in particular, is that they do seem designed to encourage different play styles and to bring players out of uh, out of your comfort zone. You know, for most players, you play as like uh, Gaul in particular and uh, uh, Babylon. Uh, you're probably not playing the game exactly the same that you would play it with, you know, the vast majority of other civilizations. There's a lot of things that you might typically do that you're, you know, not going to do either because in the case of Gaul, you simply can't because you can't build districts adjacent to your cities. Or in the case of Babylon, you're doing other things because uh, you're very strongly rewarded for it. And I, I think that's a good thing that these particular civilizations feel so different from uh, all the other civilizations in the game? Generally, yes. Although I would say the uh, full tech from Eurekas are maybe a little overtuned. <laughs> just just seeing some videos from uh, Potato McWhiskey and uh, Spiffing <laughs> and their collab. And yeah. It, it just, it, the, the, the thoughts of what happens when you have Bombards or other high tier units super early in the game uh, basically came out down to about what was expected. Which. Uh, they, which I did just crush everything. Which I did pull off earlier this week. Uh, earlier this week, I was able to unlock and actually upgrade a catapult into a bombard in like a hundred BC and uh, start uh, uh, attacking enemy cities with it in a hundred BC. Yep. They didn't even you can have get walls. Even earlier than that, if you want. They didn't even have walls yet. <laughs> yep. So you just delete it, basically. You just then walk anything into it. Yeah, it was, it was uh, two hits. It took two hits to bring the city down to uh, zero. And of course, it didn't even require two hits from the bombard because I also had like two or three crossbows. So, mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, I haven't played Civ in a while because I'm still in the process of moving and I don't have my computer in my house yet. So I'm kind of missing out right now. Well, so that, that would not be a bad pick to play uh, your first military game in a while to just stomp on everything because, man... You will rarely find that much of a tech lead without serious effort otherwise. I think Byzantium is closer to my playstyle. Faith everything to death. <laughs> I suppose. 
You can do that with Ethiopia as well. Ethiopia is pretty strong in faith. You're not going to be killing stuff with Ethiopia, but uh, you'll be winning a lot of theological battles. Yeah. You can kill stuff with Ethiopia. You just need to do what you need to do for most sims. Well, not because... Have a great general and some decent unit control, and you'll beat the AI, more or less. You don't kill things with faith with Ethiopia the way that you kill things with faith with uh, Byzantium. (laughs) Okay, yes, that's true. But yeah, I did chime in on on this particular feedback as well, and uh, and I do want to point out that I I do kind of indirectly agree with some of the criticism that some of the users posted on this particular thread. In that playing to the Eurekas does make a lot of games feel very samey and very uh, gamey, in large part because the Eurekas are exactly the same every single game you know your your start locations and map conditions and neighbors and all that might change from game to game but every single game it's uh build three archers get uh eureka for crossbows and so on and so on and so on and uh, even with the tech shuffle mode on the technologies still have the same eurekas you know they don't shuffle around the eurekas or have any different eurekas so one of the things that i did propose would maybe be for a uh, civ 7 assuming that they keep the uh, Eureka inspiration system, would be to maybe mix it up a little bit, maybe pre-design, you know, three or five uh, Eurekas and inspirations for each tech and each civic, and then maybe, like, randomly pick one or more than one for uh, each tech, so that every time you play the game, it's a little bit different. I think that could help with the variety and uh, with encouraging different play styles as well. Yeah, yeah, I agree. It'd be nice to have a little bit of a mixed-up path. Or have to pause more to think about it. Yeah, because right now it is a lot of doing the same things over and over and over again uh, every single game. Especially at the beginning of the game when that 40% science makes so much of a difference. When you get to the point later in the game where you're hard researching you know, every single tech in like four turns, alright, the Eurekas are no big deal. But at the beginning of the game, it definitely makes a huge difference. Uh, yeah, I would say that that would go a long way, actually, to adding variety to the game, because now you're, you'd are you be constantly considering uh, what your eco is to go for against what what kind of layout you have. I, I think that would allow for some of the most variable early games we could see while still staying within the general scope of Civ. I, I think that would actually be great. Yeah, te- Tech Shuffle helps a little bit with the... You're not always doing the exact same research path every time, because you don't know... You know, the pre-resequits are mixed up, but... Yeah, having another another mix into the Eureka is like if you wanted to keep the current structure of the tech tree, but yet you wanted not to be, oh, look, I have to make a sl- couple of slingers. Oh, I have to go kill a barbarian. Oh, I have to make two crossbowmen, you know, to get some variety in there would not be a bad thing. Yeah, I, I really do think Eureka Shuffle would be amazing. I'd be interested to see that. Well, there you go, Fraxis. We, uh, <laughs> we came up with an idea for you. There's there's your free next DLC, courtesy of Polycast. <laughs> yeah, free. <laughs> It just goes into the game, if you will. It there you go. <laughs> yep. Don't even have to do any work. Oh yeah, we did all the work. We just did all the work. It's this is how game all the code. <laughs> we totally wrote all the code for you too. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Game design is hard. Oh, it is. Yes. Yeah, that, that is really true. Is. To be fair, that is all. It's not that easy to come up with ideas that interact well with the ideas already existing in the game, and have the result be something you want it to be. Well, to be fair, good game design is uh, hard. Uh, okay. Making, making something <laughs> well, like Candyland maybe not so hard. Difficult. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you can do many things badly without too much difficulty, but that's not usually the goal. Yeah, I've I've played enough uh, bad games on Steam that uh, 
<laughs> Gotta get out that shovel. Yeah. The next topic is the topic of balance, or whether we really need it. From a very strong player, Lily Lancer, do we really need balance between civilizations? Uh, pointing out that Civ 6 is never and will never be a balanced game, which is very likely true. Uh, not only with the Civs, but also starting locations, city-states, as he points out. Uh, hills of trees, strictly better than plains, etc. And there's the argument whether the imbalance brings more fun or not. Um, I, I think there are limits. For example, if you just put in a button where you win instantly, okay, like that's too far, right? And if everything is identical to each other, that's also not interesting. So there's there's got to be some space in between that the most people have the most fun with. Somewhere between those two extremes. And I would say that having perfect balance in a game like this, it's not really designed for competitive play. Probably not necessary, and probably doesn't create as many interesting situations. I do think it's useful to have a game mode that, or a scenario slash setup, or means of creating more balanced games so that people who want to compete against each other on skill can do it. Um, but for the broader audience in Civ... They don't really play for comparing their skill against their opponents in close scenarios like that. Like, that's not, at least I don't get the impression that that's the majority of the user base. And so I don't know that the game should be designed for that. I agree with Lily Lancer. And also, you can have some asymmetric scenarios that are still interesting and still being competitive, even if it isn't balanced. Uh, you see that all the time in Dominions and certainly could easily see it in Civ 6 as well. Yeah, there is a no-duplicate uh, leaders and no-duplicate civs uh, checkbox in the advanced setup. You can always uncheck those and let everybody be Grand Columbia. <laughs> yeah, you could. Although, like, you still wouldn't have balanced starts unless you made a, a map specifically for it. You need to play city-states carefully and types of city-states carefully and so on and so forth. And there are it maps is... for that sort of thing. You know, there are the yeah. balanced, again, in, in going to the advanced settings, there's, you know, options for more balanced starts. There's specific maps that are designed explicitly for multiplayer where they're symmetrical across multiple axes and, and all that stuff. So th those options are in the game. Uh, I just don't think too many players use them. And the people yeah, I, I think... who do the competitive play, there's their own mod and rule set for what they can and can't do anyway. So we you don't necessarily need it in the game itself because people either make a rule set and adhere to it or make their own mod thing to enforce those rules. We don't necessarily need that for the majority of us players who aren't playing competitively. Now, from a design standpoint, how strong or weak uh, can a Civ be before it's too far for a typical single player. Like there, like I said, there is an extreme where the game stops being meaningful, right? So where do you draw the line there? Like Babylon is one of the more extreme Civ examples I've seen in recent memory in terms of how strong this is relative to other things. I think it blows Grand Columbia out of the water. And Grand Columbia got nerfed pretty quickly. Um, and now is that bad in single player? Probably not if people are just picking to play it. But at some point... Something is so trivializing that it's, this becomes uninteresting, and that's probably too far. One of the merits of, of having the imbalance in the particular civilizations is uh, that one of the things that, that does allow you to do is when you do feel like the game is starting to get easy and you're ready to move up to a higher difficulty setting, you can fall back on you know those civs that are very strong or that you're very good with. Uh, so that you're, you're eased into that higher difficulty a little bit, you know, more easily and can be a little bit more competitive at it. So that, I guess, is one of the strengths of uh, having the super overpowered civs is that they, they make the, the difficulty curve from crossing from one difficulty to the other a little bit gentler. 
Yeah, it's, I suppose that's true. And then you when can you do want that to, with maps and such too. Yeah, and then when you want to play on really hard mode, you just switch to Georgia. <laughs> I don't know. I, I think you can screw with the game with maps just as easily as you can with civs. Yeah, you, you like the AI is really bad on water maps. Snowball starts for everybody. Yeah, or, or do like a scenario where you can just rush out an AI immediately, and then you're bigger than everybody. Yeah, and they, like no one's there to stop you after you re- make that initial rush, so you have time to consolidate. Like that kind of stuff will make it a lot easier too. Right. I think. Uh, yeah, but let's let's not pretend. Civ has not had balance between Civs and Civ Two when they were all the same, as far as I recall. Even in Civ Three, you were starting to see pretty significant differences in what was available depending on what you picked that did impact the game and civ 4 is pretty extreme as well like playing inca versus like japan versus germany or something pretty wild differences in their utility yeah the old the old civ 4 thing of what color inca are you i mean there are other great civs too but certainly there's a huge gap between like the really strong civ picks and like the mediocre to bad ones. Uh, I don't think I know that it's like as extreme in Civ Four or Civ Six, but it was certainly a, a thing, and it was true in Civ Five as well. Like you and Civ, they're just obviously stronger slash better than the others. It's always been the case. That the late game stuff is just bad because it doesn't come fast enough to be meaningful. I would actually like to see broadly anything that's a late game bonus be very strong, uh, just just because of that. Because very few people play advanced eras. I know Dan's gonna like loved me for saying that because he hates those future error starts or later error starts or whatever but <laughs> I don't think too many people play them too often and it would be nice for those late game bonuses to be meaningful now is that a balancing thing I, I don't know that that's necessarily for balance it's just to make those sips more interesting I don't know I, do I, think- I, I would broadly say and th- this is actually a pretty even split there, there are more people saying no than yes uh, but as it stands right now, there are 37 yes, you need balance, and 50 no's. And I would say no, uh, personally. I don't think you need to balance carefully. I, I just think you need to make civs within the realm of choices still being meaningful to strategy. Like, you, you still need it to be a strategy game. And as long as you're operating within that parameter, that you're not trivializing everything, like all the other choices, just because you picked your civ, you win. It, it's probably okay, honestly. I think that the uh, person I think the best response in this thread is uh, response number nine from uh, Casper GM, which says, uh, I agree with this, uh, this being that we don't need perfect balance in that not all sieves need to be equally strong, but all sieves need to have a niche where they all will shine. Mm-hmm. That's tough when you start getting like 20, 30 plus, though. Yeah, and uh, there's yeah, also the still is- map you know, issues where, you know, okay, you've got a really strong naval sieve, but you're on a Pangea map. So, eh, if that sieve thro- shows up in that game, you know, they're going to be uh, not nearly as strong as they could have been if they were on, like, Archipelago. And it works out right now with all the sieves having sort of various levels of difficulty. Some are super easy, like Babylon, you know, you could just, like, steamroll things. But, like, we're talking about Georgia, and you have to really work at it, and that's almost like a customizing the difficulty level within whatever difficulty level you're playing. Yeah, I almost... If you're not ready to to move up to that next level, you could try one of the more challenging to play civs, and it also customizes to your own play style, because everybody plays a bit differently. Yeah, just pick George on Deity and keep going until you win Conquest. That's fine. (laughs) You mean mean run my You'll get there eventually. I think there was uh, a response somewhere in this thread, I I don't remember which one it was, where the uh, user had said that um, maybe... 
the actual game itself needs to have like Civ tier levels in it, like, and then that being like the UI. So when you're picking civs, <laughs> uh, kind of like uh, you know, I've been playing Crusader Kings three, and when you're picking a country to play in, at the beginning of Crusader Kings three, it it ranks the difficulty. Yeah. Hey, this this country's easy, this country's medium, this country's hard. I don't know how accurate that is because I you know haven't played every country in that game yet but maybe they could have something like that in uh Civ where you're <clears throat> you're in the leader or Civ select screen and it says you know hey Grand Colombian <clears throat> this is an easy Civ good for beginners you know hey Georgia this is a much harder Civ you know good for more advanced players I, I don't know that I trust the devs on that in any game so far well no but they can always you know base it on community you know tier systems and and stuff like that too so I guess but then, like, people could just figure that out from the community tier systems, which will tend to be more up to date than the devs can possibly do. Like, I don't, True. I don't know that, the, I don't know that the developer resources going into that would be useful. Uh, maybe not, but you know, it, it wouldn't necessarily hurt to have that in game. Not every player is, you know, actively going onto the internet and, and looking this stuff up. So, well, sure, but part of the reason they don't then is that they are making an evaluation of the relative value of the Civ bonuses for themselves and are experimenting with the game without looking up the online sources. Yeah, perhaps. Like, if you're an experienced player from previous Civs, you can probably take a look at something like Grand Columbia versus Georgia, and even without external feedback, you can probably guess which one's going to be better in practice in the game. I think it's about how it works. You have relative bias versus absolute bias. and Or not bias, balance. And um, if you're talking about is a Civ balanced compared to its peers? That's more important than if it's balanced overall, I think. What does balanced overall look like? Everything is all in... Every, like, if you have a tier list, they're all in the same tier. Oh, okay, that's what you mean. Alright, fair enough. Hmm. Because yeah. if everything is the same, it's all boring. Yeah, jeez. Depending on the games, though, you can have very disparate meetings of, like, top tier versus low tier. In other words, like in some games, the, the the very best stuff isn't that much better than like average stuff. In other games, the the, the gulf is huge. Another yeah. another uh, interesting response to this topic is the thirteenth uh, response from uh, McConnelly, I think is the the name here, which is that um, the idea of uh, maybe having different different victory conditions for different sieves, so that you know maybe uh, it's. Uh, you know, you have a sieve that maybe doesn't have very strong bonuses, but maybe they have an easier victory condition, and that would be a balancing thing. And that's something that I've thought about uh, in the past, is, is maybe having, like, expanding the agenda system so that it actually uh, contributes towards a sieve-specific, like, victory kind of thing. Uh, obviously, that would be a very different game than any of the sieve games that we've, uh, you know, had in the past. So it's not something that they'd necessarily just slot into Civ 6 and it would work, but it would be, you know, if they designed the entirety of, for example, Civ 7 around the idea of Civs having Civ-specific victory conditions, uh, that's something that I think could potentially work and could uh, alleviate the problem of apparent balance in, uh, disparity by making it so that uh, Civs that are weaker have easier conditions, uh, win conditions to meet. Hmm, that's an interesting idea. I don't know how I feel about it. As long as it comes with a toggle to turn it back on where I can still try to win the non-optimal victory with the Civ, you know. Just kill everything. Yeah, yeah I mean... A I, diplomatic Civ. Let me kill everything instead, just for fun. Yeah, yeah. I, I well, mean, you're not getting away from that being a, a victory condition. If, if there's no one else left <laughs> in the game, you have won. 
Wait, there's other victory conditions? <laughs> yeah, I've heard you can actually get the other civs to vote for you to win the game. I know, it's, it sounds Yeah, crazy, when you have all their cities, right? It's a thing. And their population is your population, so they vote for you. Yep, that's, that's the way it works, Phil. I just miss nuking down the other civs' population so you have the winning amount of votes. <laughs> It's easy to win. It's mostly I do miss that. Work. That was that was great. <laughs> Speaking of things that were slightly imbalanced but fun, I wouldn't say that was imbalanced. If you are in the position to nuke the crap out of everybody's population, you are like the game is over at that point. Yeah. <laughs> you went yeah. just speeding things up by a few turns. So uh, earlier in our feedback section, I think we had someone talk about not liking the dramatic ages, or at least being very uh, underwhelmed by it. But here we have another thread started by uh, Pokiel. Yeah. Uh, form names are so hard to pronounce. Uh, this is on Symphonatics and is titled Dramatic Ages Mode Has Really Surprised Me and Become My Favorite Mode. So here now is a thread full of people who mostly really like dramatic ages. Uh, the user says, when they first revealed this, I was interested but had reservations. I loved the idea, but I was unsure of how I'd like not having dedications anymore. After playing a couple games, I can say that I absolutely love, love in all caps, not having dedications. Uh, and converting dedications into policies was a phenomenal idea. Uh, and, uh, yeah, they talk about how they would always go for the same dedications. Uh... And now they're slotting in different ones over the course of the Golden Age. And uh, that they're really liking the harsher penalties for uh, Dark Ages with the more frequent uh, city flipping. And um, uh, and they've also said that they have a couple mods available for Dark Ages. So if you're curious to check it out, uh, this user has a darker Dark Ages mod and a uh, Dramatic Ages mod that uh, looks like it gives an extra wild card slot for when you're in Dark Ages. So if, you're interest- if you like Dark Ages, but you want uh, them to be, I guess, darker or more wild, then uh, check out these mods. Uh, I personally have not yet played the Dramatic Ages mode. Uh, I played around a little bit with the Tech Shuffle, and that's the only uh, mode, alternate game mode, that I've... Uh, played so far from the New Frontiers Past DLC, so I don't have all that much to say about this particular topic, but I don't know if any of the three of you have played Dramatic Ages more than I have. I haven't had a chance. I haven't messed with it really now. Yeah, because like some people, there's like I'm like, oh, I don't know, because when I fall into a Dark Age, it's pretty bad. I don't know if I want it to be bad, bad. Well, and one of the posters here says it like it's proper rubber banding. If you want rubber banding, then pick it. But I never liked that as a game concept. So I, mm-hmm. you know, it's kind of antithetical to where what I would want out of a strategy game. But yeah, people want different stuff, so it's nice that it's an option. Yeah, I do think that of the game modes that have been introduced by New Frontiers Pass. Uh, the Dramatic Ages and the Tech Shuffle are, like, the two that I think I would be most likely to play, uh, other than, you know, maybe playing around with the pirate scenario, which I still have not gotten around to doing yet. Uh, there's Shame. Too many I do games think the to Tech play. Shuffle is better. Yeah. I, I, like, yeah, the Tech Shuffle's nice. 
There's just too many games to play and not enough time to play them all. Secret Societies is fun, too. Now they just need the CKT religion flipping mechanics. Please, no. There's a secret society. Now you're a new religion. Get wrecked. <laughs> no? You don't think that's fun? How come nobody not... thinks that's fun? Weird. Uh, Unpleasant. <laughs> now, let's talk about Babylon. Babylon, in this particular context, we're going to talk about some of the t- tips and tricks people have found for Babylon and um, their unique Eureka stuff. So, apparently the the leader of this thread and the tips and tricks thing, if I can get the thing to open because my internet's being cranky, uh, Civ Life R YouTube. Is that Ryutube? Is in like the Maybe. Street Fighter character? That's possible. He received machinery by turn 37. And that means crossbows by turn 37. And then if you build two, is it two or three crossbows, you get two. the one that gives you bombards. Two. Two. But, but you also need to so build that, an aqueduct to get the military, what is it, military engineering so that you can get niter. Otherwise, you can't build the bombard. Yeah. But that's still bombards very early. Yeah, aqueducts are early in the game. That's not a, a deal breaker by any stretch. And as we mentioned, I, I pulled that off earlier this week as well. I, I had a bombard active and bombing cities by 100 BC. I don't like to use the turn numbers because people play on different game speeds. It's always been one of my pet peeves about uh, Civ forums is everyone talks about by turn X. And I'm like, well, you plan on standard speed or quick speed. And now there's online speed. Like, I'd really prefer if people... Yeah, even with here. that, though... The the game pacing is such that you cannot you you can't like just say 100 BC and have it mean the same thing if you're on like online speed versus standard speed. There is like a huge difference gameplay wise in what you would expect to see on 100 BC between those two. Huge, 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 huge. I still feel like that's going to be more consistent between the game speeds than turn count, but I could be wrong. Yeah, it, yeah, you're right, but. Like I would say that in both cases, you really need to know the speed for the information conveyed to be meaningful. But you're right; there's a greater disparity in like turn twenty on quick and online, like online versus standard, than there would be in in like a same date. But there's still like the difference is just so large. Right. But anyway, yeah, that's just a minor pet peeve of mine. Um. Yeah, uh, I don't know. What else crazy stuff have people pulled off with uh, Babylon? Anyone get the Great Library with Babylon yet? That's uh, I got that. Not that's, yet. That's pretty crazy. I've been beelining for it every time I've played with them so far. Uh, unfortunately, in one game, it uh, only gave me two techs because I had already gotten the Eureka for every other ancient classical tech, but you still get that drip feed of new techs every so many turns whenever someone... Is it any great person or just great scientists specifically? Uh, the Great scientists. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, it's just every now and then, hooray, free tech. So, as it turns out, somebody here, uh, Sidharth uh, Venk, 
because uh, I can't read this today, has uh, pointed out that science victory is actually the worst victory condition to go after as Babylon. Because a lot of the texts in the later era tech tree that you need for science don't have Eurekas. So, or the Eureka is that it has to be a, boosted by a spy or a great scientist. Yeah. Which also means, you know, you have to wait for someone else to uh, have protect that tech uh, before you can... Is that the way it works? Can you use a spy to steal, like, rocketry before the other player has researched rocketry? Or do they have to I don't think so. I think they have to have rocketry in order for your spy to steal the Eureka yeah, for it. I, I don't think you can steal your way down the tech tree when everyone else is in the medieval era now. Right, yeah. So if, then... if you're ahead in science with Babylon, you are hard-teching texts like rocketry at your 50% penalty. With that being said, I wonder if that is meaningful when you can get endgame research tech so much earlier than others can. It's going to depend, I guess, from game to game. If, if you do have enough of a tech lead, then yeah, it's still going to be easy. Like you said, if everyone else is still in the medieval or renaissance era, uh, and you're here, you know, researching rocketry, even if it takes you 50 turns to do it. Well, not even that. Science is the kind of thing that snowballs. Like, when you research the ability to make universities, you get a spike in your research. So, because Babylon can eureka their way down the tech tree pretty far, they start unlocking things that will improve both their production and their science much sooner than other ships could manage. It might be enough to overcome the penalties. I, I don't know that we can safely assume just yet, uh, especially without seeing top players optimize it, that the penalty is insurmountable. <laughs> well, I mean, certainly it isn't for winning, but I, I think you might see competitive times or even faster times from Babylon than competition, despite needing the hard tech in the end, just because you get that high science rate earlier in the game. City states... Oh, sorry, go ahead. And specifically on a science victory, it's not just the tech, but building all the components. And your production is not accelerating as fast as your science is snowballing. Yeah, but you're still... You you get that infrastructure earlier in the game, too. uh, If you're unlocking like industrialism early, or the ability to get industrial zones up early, etc. You're getting them that many turns sooner than anybody else. Right. And Is it's, that enough uh, to overcome the tech penalty? I don't know. I haven't yeah. experimented with it to that extent. It's, I, I don't usually play the research game side of the game nearly as much as I play the military. And man, if I were to play this station, I would want to go down the military path much more so. Because there are very few problems that owning like three times anybody else's cities can't solve. But I, I suspect that you will see very competitive times from Babylon eventually when it comes to research. Yeah, and speaking of getting a lot of extra production really early, I feel like uh, with the Eureka for Apprenticeship being, I think it's three mines, any three mines, they don't even have to be on resources. Uh, I can get Apprenticeship and therefore... Uh, industrial hubs earlier with Babylon than I can with Gaul, who, you know, has the early thing that automatically unlocks it for you. Yeah. And then, I forget what the Eureka is for industrialization, but I'm pretty sure I've gotten that unlocked in, like, the medieval era era as well. And yeah, that's a big deal, because you start to be able to to produce things at rates that other civs can't manage. 
Yeah, and it's not just the infrastructure. It's also things like you're unlocking the new resources early, which means you know, you're getting the extra production on those tiles, and you can mine them, and then you can start selling them, and the AI will pay crazy prices for strategic resources early in the game. Uh, so if you're unlocking, like, Niter early, you know, you can just sell it to someone long before they have the ability to practically use it and just, you know, collect extra gold. Yep. Some fleecing. If you're playing as Babylon, get Science City States because the 15% is additive with the 50% malice. Yeah, I was going to bring that up. There was another really good post, uh, which was also, I think, from Siddharth uh, Venkatesh, uh, which which points out that apparently the uh, science penalty is applied per city and not globally, which means that if you get any additive city science bonuses they go a long way towards canceling out that 50% penalty. And this includes uh, amenity bonuses, uh, Pingalas, plus 15% uh, for the governor, which you, know, can only, you can only put in one city, and the uh, Kilwa, uh, I forget how to pronounce, Kiwanasi, Kilwa Kiwanasi, whatever the... Kisiwani. Yeah, the uh, World Wonder. Uh, and if you add all these together in one particular city, uh, such as your capital, that brings you right back up to 100% science. Also, uh, when you're in a fight, pillage campuses, because they don't get te- maliced. Oh, that's a good point. Yeah, pillaging is you also... You mean the, the pillage yields don't get maliced? Yeah. <laughs> the target campus does. <laughs> get wrecked. Uh, I also recommend uh, pillaging th- uh, enemy tiles that give you gold. Because if you are unlocking advanced units like bombards and musketmen, uh, you know, early in the game in like the classical era, it's going to cost you like six, seven hundred gold to upgrade uh, into one of those units. Uh, I had a game earlier this week where uh, I was attacking Grand Columbia, and they had like six clustered mercury mines in their territory, and I pillaged them all. I didn't even have the raid policy yet, but I pillaged them all, and I had over a thousand gold. And I'm like, all right, sure, I'll take that bombard. I mean, that's good advice in general anyway. It's all like a thousand gold is is gonna set you back if you're anybody other than Babylon. So but yes, it certainly still do it. Yeah, but you might need it with Babylon just in order to upgrade to those advanced units, whereas, you know, with the uh, other civs, you, you know, you're probably gonna use it to buy buildings or something like that. Which is also good, but uh Yeah. Definitely look for that as an opportunity to get you some of those advanced units. Cross cultural dialogue is also good. Offering uh, religion, yes. I'm still if waiting. You decide to get a religion, but I'm still waiting to see some like really good tips for things to do with Babylon's unique unit. Because uh, so far, my impression of their unique unit is that it's a uh, pretty bad. <laughs> What's their unique unit again? So we we talked we tried talking about it last time, but we didn't know for sure. We were just making educated guesses. We assumed it was a spearman replacement that had a 17 bonus against uh, cavalry and that had three movement and three uh, sight. Uh, It is not, in fact, a Spearman replacement. It is, like, its own uh, unit that you have to hard build, uh, and it upgrades into Swordsman, into the melee line, and gets melee unit promotions, which I guess is nice, uh, because you can build... Like, the one thing that I found that you can do with it so far is you can... They're cheap, so you can build a bunch of them if you have, like, an early game uh, neighbor that has, like, a cavalry-heavy army. Like, if you start with, like, uh, Scythia 
or Mongolia or someone like that as your immediate neighbor and you know they're going to be building a lot of horsemen, you can build a bunch of Sabum Kibitum uh, early for relatively cheap, use them to fight off that sieve, and then you upgrade them uh, out of the crappy uh, anti-cav line and into the much more useful uh, regular melee line and then use them for the rest of the game as a melee unit. But uh, it seems like most people are saying that uh, the Sabum Kibitum is a better reconnaissance unit than uh, a combat unit or an anti-cav unit. And if that's the case, I kind of wish they had just made it a scout replacement and let you get the uh, reconnaissance promotions for it. I mean, maybe people are liking using it in that role because it has standard fighting capabilities against barbs. Yeah, it's a, it's basically a scout that won't die when you accidentally walk it next to a uh, bar- barbarian outpost that has, like, an archer and a uh, spearman in it. Yeah. The site is nice, though, to have that kind of vision. Yeah, I've been using them as, like, a sentinel kind of unit where I just place them along my borders or along, like, choke points uh, near uh in the direction of rival civs just to like watch their troop movements and check to see if the ai sent an unescorted settler that i can just war deck and steal it's good practice in general like you you get a few extra turns to react to whatever you're seeing yeah sometimes quite a few in the case of the ai right but i I have not been fighting much with them they basically they have actually lower melee base melee strength than either the warrior or the spearman uh, so even with that larger bonus against anti-cav units, they're still not particularly good as an anti-cavalry unit unless you get the battle cry promotion for them. And then, you know, then suddenly they do become much more competent. But you really need that promotion in order for them to be, like, effective uh, against another Civ's cavalry. Uh, barbarian cavalry, you know, maybe that's a different story. They're easier because they're usually... Uh, horse archers and have lower melee strength anyway um but against like a civilization that's rushing you with horsemen like the sabum kibitum is still not that good unless you until you get battle cry with them at least that's been my impression you could do worse than a better scout even if that's not what it was intended to be yeah but of course unfortunately you also don't start with that unit in play you still have to hard build it so yeah, it's, I'm still fine. like I'm still like eh. I feel like I'd rather have the scout because you know if you can get the survey policy up and running and you can get enough like uh, natural wonders and goody huts to get a second promotion, you can take ambush and have plus twenty combat strength with that scout. And now that bonus alone is better than the Sabum Kibitum's raw combat strength. So yeah, I guess. I mean, it's a roll of the dice well, whether you can get there. Oh, go ahead. You're gonna build at least that one for your uh, to get your era score. So you know you might as well build it and send him off scouting. Yeah, you're gonna have one. It's like four era score. So you know that and the yeah. the water mill replacement building. Uh, it makes it very easy for Babylon to get a classical golden age. I I have yet to play a game with Babylon, and I think I've played. I've started four separate games with them so far. And uh, I have yet to fail to get a classical golden age. And I think in every game but one, I also got a medieval golden age. So, definitely go for those golden ages. Yeah. Yeah, any other tips or just crazy things that you've achieved with the Eurekas? 
I feel out of place because I haven't had a chance to play them yet. Yeah, I had in our last episode where we were previewing Babylon before it released, I had talked about just having looked over the tech tree and a bunch of Eurekas that I thought would be crazy strong. And uh, from my experience so far, every one of them has panned out as, you know, definitely being doable and uh, being pretty powerful. Yeah, I had Babylon in our multiplayer game the other day, but I was, I mean, I was tacking good and everything, but I was sort of, I, I got stuck off in a corner. So I, didn't, so I didn't get to, you know, really leverage being able to have crossbowmen early and things like that. Yeah, that's a bummer. Uh, let's see, another thing would be uh, research alliances, uh, which uh, I, think we t- I think we talked about briefly last time. Uh, where we were like, do not give a research alliance to Babylon. Um, but a level one research alliance uh, will actually disproportionately benefit the non-Babylon player because, uh, well, actually, now that we know that the their 50% penalty is city-based and not global, I wonder, does that, uh, what does that mean for the, the research alliance? Because that comes from trade routes, right? Which I think is applied to the city that's sending the trade route. So that would be city science, right? So a city that would normally give... A city of Babylon... A Babylon city that if if it wasn't Babylon would produce 10, would only produce 5. Right. But then the Research Alliance adds back. Right, but is is the Research Alliance beakers also going to be minus 50% penalized, or are they just applied directly to your science pool and then bypass the 50% penalty? There is a screenshot in one of the spoiler tags, and it looks like it is on the city level. Right, well, that's what I'm asking if if the research alliance science that you get is at the city level, or if it's... I think it's city level, because like I said, I think it's a trade route, and I think the trade route yields go to the city. Yeah. So my my instinct would be that the level one research alliance bonuses from trade routes would have the 50% penalty. But, when you get to a level two research alliance, you're just getting random Eurekas every so many turns, and that's basically 60% more beakers than the other player is getting so if they let you get up to a level two research alliance like take it like you're you're probably getting more benefit over the long term uh than they are because you're just getting free technologies and if you're playing sounds right and if you're playing against babylon uh go ahead by all means do the level one research agreement but cancel it before it promotes to level two unless spice you know some fluke babylon is just way behind uh, in science. And we did talk last time about the idea that maybe the Babylon or the Hammurabi AI would not be very good about getting Eurekas and therefore would actually be a very bad science AI because they would just have a 50% penalty and not make up for them by getting too many Eurekas. Uh, so far, I've played a couple games against Babylon as well, and that has not been the case. They are an era or two ahead on the tech tree, uh, even as an AI. That makes sense. The AI seems to be pretty good at getting Eurekas. Yeah, like we said at the top of the uh, episode, a lot of them you just trip over by just doing regular things. So I don't know how active the AI pursues other Eurekas that are a little bit harder to trigger, uh, but they're they're definitely benefiting from the ones that you just get anyway. 
So yes, uh, you are probably not very likely going to see Babylon fall behind in technology, which means that level two research alliance is probably not going to be worth it from another civilization's perspective. No, if they're in the game, you must give it to them. They need that research. Help them out. I mean, it would end the game faster, and Phil is strictly pro-ending the game faster. When it's over, yes. Ending games that are over faster, specifically. (laughs) (laughs) So Phil's strategy is just Uh, give Babylon everything and let them win the game. So the game will be over sooner. If I am playing Babylon, absolutely. (laughs) Absolutely the case. Otherwise, not necessarily. Jolololol. Well, this has been episode 374 of Polycast. I'm Makalua, and with me as usual, Canis Albinus. As a fr- one friend to another, may I ask you please, can you spare a furnace? For mine is dead. <laughs> Mega Bears fan. Or you can just live in the desert where, you know, it's like 60 degrees still. In the meantime. Or you could live here where I'd be happy to give you a furnace if I had one. Asking for nukes? No. Oh, okay. Those do heat things up. Yeah. Be warm for the rest of your life that way. Civilization 3, 4, 5, Beyond Earth, and 6 Sound Clubs Copyright Take 2 Interactive. Copyright the Polycast at thepolycast.net. Whenever you're not here and I have to do that, I always forget that we have Beyond Earth clips as well. We don't, actually, but we say it just to be safe. Oh, okay.